Welcome to the Scalar Learning Podcast, your central hub for all things related to education. Join us every episode for the most up-to-date tips and strategies on how to maximize student potential. Sit back, listen, and enjoy. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Scalar Learning Podcast. I am your host, Huzaifa, as always. And in today's episode, we are talking with a company that has created not one, but two unbelievable YouTube channels with followers in the millions. So the company we're talking to today is called Sockeye Media, and we're talking to none other than the co-founder and COO, uh, Harry Joe. So Sockeye Media is has earned billions of YouTube uh, views on YouTube and four Mid South Emmy awards. Uh, it, the brands inc- the brand includes the award winning Mother Goose Club, and they engage, educate, and entertain a global audience across the entire range of media platforms available today. So, like I said, the their two YouTube channels are massive, and they have all these amazing music videos. Uh, they have one that a couple that are featured on their page, "Driving in My Car," "Rhyme with Us," and "Wheels on the Bus." So, really fun stuff, and it's obviously doing great things. But enough from me. Let's talk to the co-founder and COO, Harry Joe. Harry, welcome to the show. Hey, Josefa. So it's so great to have you guys on. I mean, number one, just because you've been so successful uh, with everything you're doing. But number two, because I'm a huge fan of education through music and a big believer that using music videos to educate, especially with younger, younger ages, is so powerful. So tell us, how did you guys get the idea to start this venture? Sure. Um, so we've actually been creating content for children in the educational space since uh, the 90s. Uh, my wife and I, Sana, who's the, the chief creative officer and, and co-founder. So um, we started teaching English in Korea in the mid-90s. And my and Sana eventually started creating, uh, became a textbook writer and was creating content for the uh ESL market uh, for all ages, but with uh, a focus on children, and uh, eventually ended up in television, producing content uh, for what was known at the time as the instructional television market. And this is a market where content was, video content was created and broadcast on PBS, but primarily for use in schools. So it would be broadcast at say 2 a.m. in the morning, teachers would record it on their VCRs and then they would uh, put it on, they would play it in the classroom later on in the day on those television sets that were on those big carts that they would wheel into the classroom. So we'd always been kind of creating this content and uh, after, um, in, the mid, in the early to mid 2000s, we were working on a number of projects for some publishers and decided to work on our own projects. And one of the ideas that we had was to uh, create nursery rhyme music videos. And it, uh, nursery rhymes have become a really big content vertical. Uh, it's almost an industry, I would say, where it is an industry now. But at the time, you know, not too long ago, really just a little over 10 years ago, uh, it was a, an issue that nursery rhymes were beginning to fade out of memory. So there were a lot of children were not being exposed to nursery rhymes. There was not a lot of nursery rhyme content. It was very hard to get access to nursery rhymes. So 
we decided to create a series of one minute videos that we would produce and put up uh, for local PBS stations to broadcast in between their programming as interstitials. And now you, so this is back in the early 2000s when you started making these for PBS. Is, did I hear that correctly? Yes, yes. So we, we started this project. We had a completely, we had a completely different business plan um, at a time when YouTube did not exist. Right. I think I think YouTube started cropping up or people started creating channels in 2005. Is that correct? That's right. So YouTube was created in 2005. So uh, our business plan at the time was we would create these interstitials, self-distribute them to local PBS stations. And then if we could demonstrate that we had an audience, then try to develop a television show. I see. And when did you start? When did the trajectory shift to saying, hey, well, maybe we should try YouTube? Right. So we so in those days when you wanted to share video, uh, what you did was you burned a DVD and you mailed it to people and, you you know, which was very expensive. And then you didn't know if they actually watched it. Whereas with uh, YouTube, when YouTube came along, you, you know, we I at least and I think many others at the time saw YouTube as a um, cloud based video file sharing service. Right. So the notion that people would watch YouTube or consume content on YouTube was really unthinkable at the time. But for people who wanted to share video, it was really the first solution that, that allowed you to share a video by email. And so we uploaded our videos to YouTube, which in those days was actually a very difficult thing to do, by the way. Um, and we had to kind of re-upload them many, many times. And you know, getting them to play correctly was also a problem. But we got them onto YouTube and we emailed them to people and used that as our as our means of introducing people who we talked to at television conferences about Mother Goose Club as opposed to, say, mailing a DVD to them. I see. And now, so now you start, you're using this as a tool to, to connect and create and share your work. Right. When did it start to take on a life of its own? So this is how we used it, and we never really thought about it in any other way, really meaningfully, until about 2010. Wow. So in about so our original plan was we're going to self-distribute to uh, PBS stations. We're going to promote our website. So websites were the primary means of me reaching fans in those days. And so every communication we had with people was about go to our website. And it was only until 2010 when we had enough content at that point to produce a DVD. And I wanted to see where we could market it that we stumbled upon the fact that our YouTube traffic was equivalent to our website traffic, even though we hadn't really been telling anyone about our YouTube channels. And, um, and you know, another historical accident is the reason why we have two channels is because we had a number of other video projects that we were working on at that time that we put on one channel as sort of an aggregate channel. Then we had a second channel that we put only Mother Goose Club content on. So uh, the reason why we had two channels at all was I wanted to put all the content that we've been working on that was including the content that wasn't related to Mother Goose Club in one place. And then we would send links to that channel to the people that we were talking to about Sakai Media generally. But then for those that we were introducing to Mother Goose Club, we just gave them the links to the Mother Goose Club channel. That's why we have two channels. 
Let's see. So I've seen some of your videos, and I mean, they're phenomenal. The quality is, I mean, you were originally shooting to be on television, and the quality is all, That's right. it's television quality. I mean, it's it's like amazing visuals and music, and it's just very professionally done. So we're in a time now where I just came back from the NCTM conference in D.C. a couple weeks ago, and there was a lot of talk about teachers using video, uh, flipping the classroom, and so on and so forth. And I noticed that a lot of the presentations, because I do this in my classroom too, but I noticed a lot of the flipping of the classroom was done with videos that were just, not, you know, not, there wasn't much presentation value. And I know that you guys highly value presentation. What, why is it important that educational content be made in a way that is aesthetically pleasing and polished and so on? Where Why do you feel that it's important? So, uh, you know, with YouTube... I think if we had known about YouTube or had thought that we were going to be a YouTube channel or even knew what a YouTube channel was at the time that we created our content, we probably would not have gone down this road, but I'm glad that we did because when you have content that is broadcast quality and produced uh, with a truly evergreen audience in mind, uh, the thing about educational content is you want it to be, especially for younger children, you want it to be evergreen. and in order for it to hold up over, and we've now been doing this for over 10 years, um, and be fresh, having high quality video is really essential to maintaining that timeless feel. Um, the impact on the audience is significant. I mean, ultimately, it's really about the concepts and the educational message, but to the extent that you can produce a higher quality video, it will be, um, you can do so much more with it and we'll have a much longer life. Uh, and you know, we would expect that our videos, you know, to have a shelf life um, that would be measured in decades and not years. That's awesome. I mean, and, and not to mention the, the kids are getting more out of it. They're finding it more engaging and likely That's remembering it more clearly. So I think, I, I mean, I'm just a hundred percent with you. It's just something that I notice that I think in general, the quality on YouTube is improving, but there, I think it, obviously there's always room for improvement. So it's great to see people in the education space, especially take such care uh, with the quality. So let's talk, let's dive into a little bit of, of the content that's on your website. I'm sorry, on your YouTube channel. Tell us like, what are some of the things that kids can go there to learn about? So our, our primary focus is on literacy. So we, we start out teaching kids songs. The goal is well before they'll ever learn even really the ABCs, if they can learn the songs, they can increase their vocabulary. Uh, power, rhyming is very powerful to teach children uh, vocabulary and, and, and the, as they sing these songs and understand where, how the words relate to the concepts, what they're developing is a, is a large body of, of words. And if they know, for example, through singing Wheels on the Bus, you know, what a wheel is, what a bus is, and they understand the concept, Later on, when you're teaching them the word bus and how to read it, knowing what the word is supposed to be, how it's supposed to sound, and then learning really, at that point, focusing only on the decoding of the letters, greatly facilitates the reading process for children. There's got the founders of Flocabulary often talk about the idea. I mean, they, they make content for older kids, but they always talk about the power of song and their, their whole impetus to start their company 
to make educational musical products was the fact that they always were like, wow, we could remember the song lyrics so well. It was always seemed so effortless. Why not turn that into education tools? So absolutely. And what is what? why did you guys decide to use, I noticed you guys have kids in your videos as well. And it sounds like it's the kids singing too. What was, what was the reasoning behind that decision? So there's, there's a lot of content aimed at kids that doesn't feature kids. And mm-hmm. we know that kids respond very powerfully to other children. So it's always been a goal of ours creatively to try to work as much as possible with children to put children in front of children. Um, when we were starting out, given how short our videos were, quite honestly, a lot of the creative decision making that, that you see as to how you cast really is related to, say, the logistics of the fact that it's easier to work with adults and, um, you know, and, and that'll really drive why there's so many adults in kids' videos. But given that we, our videos are relatively short and we weren't quite sure exactly where we were going to go with the content, our objective really was for our, for our songs to try to make them as impactful as possible. And with that in mind, we really tried to focus on putting kids in front of kids. Now, do you ever collaborate with kids or uh, children artists that are singers or, or aspiring writers? Um, we... We haven't done that many creative collaborations with uh, other YouTubers. Um, all of our content is studio produced. So, you know, sometimes our, our content is produced years before we release it. So uh, it's been hard for us to match up with the timing, uh, especially the more kind of on the go timing that a lot of uh, individual YouTubers will have. So, so we haven't had th- that many creative opportunities to collaborate. Although we do do cross-promotional collaborations on a pretty regular basis. Now let's talk about your products being used in school. So have you heard, I mean, I'm, you, with that subscriber base, I mean, you have so many fans. I imagine it must be being used in schools. But have you, is there any formal use or have teachers reached out to you and said, hey, we want to build a curriculum around your videos? Uh, definitely. I mean, there are schools and we've seen um, fan-generated content. Um, from schools really all over the world um, and daycares as well. Um, you know, teachers have reached out to us and we've helped them either by you know, um, giving them permission for use in the classroom for a particular set of projects or um, you know, working with, uh, we've recently been talking to a number of, uh, like we'll call it like school theater type programs as well to try to integrate uh, some of our content there. So. We definitely um, do have an ongoing dialogue with teachers, and we, and we absolutely want to support the work that they're doing. Do you guys provide worksheets or other curriculum supplements to go along with your videos to schools or teachers? Um, so we don't have any specific worksheet um, products that we have been distributing yet, although we have been developing um, quite a bit of curricular-based products. I would say that the the range of inquiries that we've been getting have been from so many different places. So we, you know, I would say there was a period of time when most of our contact was from like Malaysia, like very, very early on. And then we would get like an, an inquiry from somewhere in the US and then we would get an inquiry from Brazil and then we would get an inquiry from Thailand. So, uh, so rather than kind of focus on a particular set of curricular goals around, for example, like say the Common Core, we, we instead sort of really tried to drill down on creating content that was more universal uh, with an eye towards the ESL audience, which we know is is, um, is active 
actively um, watching our videos and, and then engaging with, with teachers, especially teachers abroad, um, using ESL concepts and, and, and knowing sort of where they were kind of going on the, on the ESL curriculum. I see. Uh, what about in terms, have you guys done many things with mathematics? Math is my passion. That's the only reason why I'm asking, and, and it's what my content usually focuses around. So just curious, is that something that your team works, focuses on or builds things for? Um, so we've, we've done quite a number of counting-related and math concept-related videos. I would say that not as many as we'd like to, as we've been primarily focusing on really building on our reading materials right now, but that's definitely in the works. Now tell us. Let, now we're talking about things that are in the works. Tell us what else is on the horizon for your two channels. What can we expect to see in the next six months or year? Um, I would say probably the most interesting thing we're developing is we're we've been working for the last uh, year plus on a live stream that we're hoping to launch later this year, where we can provide something of a of a music class experience, but also really dive into a lot of the curricular materials that we've been developing over the last few years to, we'll call it, provide some reading support on a live basis to our to our fans. So um, we've been working on various formats for what that kind of show would look like and then looking forward to trying to find a way to, once we do it, maintain the frequency and, and do it at scale. So that's been a very interesting and exciting project for us. Awesome. All right. Well, I'll definitely look forward to checking that out. That sounds like a great idea. If parents are listening right now and they're saying, hey, my child is uh, struggling with reading and we, this sounds like a great resource, they're going to check it out. What would be your advice to them as far as how to use your videos and your content effectively to help their, help their kids along? I would say the first thing to really do is Build up the vocabulary. Um, I would say the the comfort that the children have from having a, a, a deep vocabulary and knowing a lot, and as, as you were saying before, knowing a lot of songs and the repetition, understanding the concepts, these are really deep concepts. Quite, It may not seem like, like it, given that it's in a preschool environment, but when you really lay out and write out all the vocabulary and all these songs and the ideas, a lot of these are very, um, very complex ideas relating to emotional emotions and relationships, and um, and then in terms of experiencing the physical world, you know, machines and nature, and there's so many different concepts there. And the more that the kids understand those concepts and they're okay with talking and hearing, especially if if, if English is not their native language. Um, when the time comes to teach them how to decode, the, really the goal of, for reading is to comprehend, right? So what you don't want to have is a situation where children are learning the alphabet, they're learning phonics, they're decoding words, but then they don't know exactly what they're reading or where the, where the message is going. But if they really have internalized the message first and then they're reading, that reading process really becomes one that's familiar and feels empowering. Right? They're like, oh, I know what this message is. This message is saying the wheel's on the bus, right? And like, I totally know what that is. And that's very exciting and they've, they've, they've discovered something. But if they don't really have that body of vocabulary, what they'll run into as they learn to be readers is 
um, they'll, they won't have to just not only learn decoding, they'll be learning new ideas and they'll be learning new concepts and, and that, will, that will add so many other externalities and factors into the reading process that could provide, we'll call it a distraction for the children. Whereas if they've got that really locked down and they're really just focusing on putting it all together and, and reading messages that they already understand, then it's a much different and much more exciting and familiar and empowering process. That's the exact same advice I would give to a struggling math student. Essentially, it's, it's you want to learn the fundamentals first. You want to learn the basics of math vocabulary and the fundamental operations before you can move on. And, and when you don't, it's the same thing. It creates, you could call it distractions or anxiety. And exactly right on. That's awesome. Great advice. I really appreciate it. And by the way, thank you so much for, for coming on today. This has been super fun. All right. And so what else have you guys got outside of video products? You know, we're really excited about our app. Um, we released it last year. We recently pushed out a really phenomenal update. Uh, it's a, uh, it aggregates not only our video content, but also interactive books and games. Um, and we've got a really great um, interactive driving in my car game, which is one of our, our big hit songs. And uh, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun and I think a great resource for parents who are especially on the go. I think it's a really great travel solution. So, um, and we, we're constantly um, leveling up the content and the interface. So we're very excited about our app. Is this a free app or a paid app? So it, it's a, so there are free elements to it and then it unlocks the, all of the content unlocks with a subscription. If people are listening right now and they want to go check out Sakai Media and learn more about both of your YouTube channels, how do they do that? Um, they should just go to YouTube and search Mother Goose Club. And then uh, a whole bunch of our videos will come up and you know, they can uh, learn our songs and sing along. All right, sweet. So if you guys did not hear that, well, it's a podcast, so just rewind. But if you don't want to rewind, go to our website, scalarlearning.com. Go to the podcast section and check out the write-up. All the links and relevant information will be posted there. And once again, new podcast episodes drop every Monday, so make sure to check those out. And new YouTube live streams for SAT Math every Wednesday. And new math music videos on the way, all about imaginary numbers. So make sure to keep your eyes peeled for that. Once again... Sakai Media, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. And guys, thank you so much for joining. And I'll see you all next time. Take it easy. Skinner.